Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Courtside Hoops podcast. Uh, again, we are without our illustrious leader, um, the Reginald. He's again having some trouble with his young bloke at the moment, and they're expecting number two um, any any week now, I reckon. So I think they're due in June. So very exciting times in, in the Reg household. Um, but again, I am joined by Matt Tolsha and Patrick Gleason tonight to talk about the second round of the NBA playoffs. Now, one series has already wrapped up today. The Miami Heat have advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in three years with a fairly comfortable nine-point win over the Philadelphia 76ers today. Um, so we'll dive straight into that one. Now, I'll throw to you, Tulsh, for your thoughts just on, I guess, the series as a whole and maybe Philadelphia and what they do going forward. Perfect. Thank you, Buckets. Um so, first of all, congratulations to Miami Heat. They closed off a pretty good series. I think, um, I think unfortunately, with Joel Embiid and a few of his injuries and whatnot playing through hurt uh, probably cost Philly a little bit um, in the end. Probably not as much as um, James Harden, who um, buckets on well and truly on your train about James Harden now, that the man is uh, fantastic in the regular season but comes up very, very short come, come the postseason. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, being in Australia and having to work full time and whatnot, I don't always get the chance to watch all the games, but I certainly watch, you know, all the condensed, like a, a I guess not a condensed version of the highlights, but effectively all the highlights of the game. And I can tell you, after watching game six um, highlights, James Harden in the second half, I reckon he had about one highlight, which is an assist. The other highlights were him missing defensive assignments, not boxing out, playing lazy basketball. Um, Oh, just things you wouldn't be expecting of a bloke who's probably expecting a max deal, you know, come next year. Uh, so I think that puts Philly in a uh, pretty precarious position because I think they're wasting Joel Embiid's, you know, his, his current talent. Like they need to put someone around him that's actually going to give a damn about winning the chip. And at the moment, James Harden's not that player. Um, you know, they, they decided against, you know, Jimmy Butler and, you know, decided to sign Tobias Harris instead. I mean, I know there was always issues with, you know, Jimmy Butler and chemistry and whatnot. Um, I just don't know what Philly does from here because, you know, if you stick with James Harden and he keeps doing that in the playoffs, he's getting older. He does, he's the shadow of a player that he was when he was playing for Houston. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and the other thing, I guess, the other question that brings up in my mind is Doc Rivers, you know, he has coached many teams and just cannot seem to coach a team into the playoffs, sorry, into the, into the finals to actually become successful. You know, he drops winnable series. Um, and I know that that's not always on that noise, just on the coach, but geez, a coach has a lot to say, um, you know, in terms of how a team sets up, how they play, you know, when it's the end of the game, getting towards the end of the game and you've got to have, you know, a, a shot to win it or, you know, what plays you're going to run. They, the, you know, the, the coach does do all that. So I think Doc Rivers is probably at a bit of a crossroads now. You know, are you going to want to sign a Doc Rivers even though he's been a fantastic coach and his record speaks for itself? But, yeah, I, I think Philly are in all sorts. I just don't know what they're going to do. Um but, I mean, obviously, hats off to, to Miami. Jimmy Butler played a series and a half. 
he showed that he's clearly the the best leader on the on the court in that series. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what what are your thoughts on it? Well, I've made my thoughts pretty clear on James Harden over the years, and it was sad watching the second half today because I, I saw the first half and he had eleven points, and I thought, okay, hit a couple of threes that were sort of around the mark, and I thought, okay, maybe you know he'll have a game and maybe he'll start to change the narrative around him. And, you know, they probably weren't going to win that game. Miami was basically in control the whole game. Um, the nine-point margin at the end really doesn't reflect that Miami really controlled them from start to finish because they wanted them all, they played harder, killed them on the offensive boards, all that sort of stuff. But watching him in that second half, it was just that that's who he is now. That That's going to be his legacy. You just wonder why certain guys just don't have the same heart as other guys when it comes to, to playing the game. Um, you know, they can all talk what they want to talk and say that they want this and they want that. But, man, if, you, if you're in the front office of Philadelphia, it must be hard to sleep at night knowing that you've lost a trade when you traded a guy that's not even playing. Brooklyn still wins that trade, even though Ben Simmons is not playing a single minute for the Brooklyn Nets because James Harden does nothing for their future and they had to give up Andre Drummond and Seth Curry as well as picks to get him. It's just that's who James Harden is. He is someone that is a selfish basketballer. So what are your thoughts, Pat? Couldn't agree more. They gave up a 25-year-old, right? They gave up a 25-year-old for what? A 33-year-old thirty-three-year-old who... I don't know if you saw the post-match interviews, but Joel Embiid, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he, he literally just said, he's not that guy anymore. You're thinking yes. you're going to get the and he's not that guy anymore. He's now a playmaker. You know, Embiid misses the first two games of the series. He's banged up. Like, everyone's putting a bit of heat on him. Like, the bloke needs thumb surgery. He's had a concussion. He's clearly got a lot going on with his head and having to wear the mask. Like, he was a warrior throughout that series. And you know, he, he comes out, <coughs> I mean, nearly goes uh, 20 and 10, you know, it's for the series, you know, over four games, there's not much else he could do. I thought Maxi was really good. I think it's probably mm. the brightest light that Philly have right now is NBA needs to get healthy, but you know, Maxi went and had 20 points, this 20, average 20 points this series against a really, really good defensive side. And I don't think, I think we're probably, focusing off Philly a little bit too much. I think Miami are a really, really good team. And I think the way they play defense and on that side of the ball is second to Boston with the teams left in this in this playoff series and the kind of talent that they've got defensively on their roster. But, you know, they made, they made Philly work. And for Tyrese to outscore James Harden at a better clip, playing the same amount of minutes, Took more shots than Harden. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think echo on everyone's thoughts on Harden, but, you know, Maury won his guy. He got his guy. Suck it up. You got to pay him now. Give him the max. You're going to waste 200 million and five years of Embiid's career. Good luck. I mean, essentially, though, like, again, I'm not fully across Harden's contract. And I know I looked it up a, a fair while ago, but I know that he's, what, has he got one year left to go and then he can sign the, sign the contract? I'm Who pretty is sure he's sort of is is what's like what his contract is. You know, do that like 
Philly basically not offer him a max and say, well, you're clearly not that player anymore. And and I guess, you know, he might he might turn around and walk away, but is that actually going to be worth it in terms of you, you know, create some cap space and probably pay Maxi more to keep, you know, the wet with how his development is. And then, you know, you try and get a free agent that you can pay, you know, overs for, but it's going to be a bit younger than James Harden and not going to be the player that James Harden is. But it's, it's, it's hard. Like, I mean, right now, I wouldn't justify paying James Harden a max contract. Like, at this stage, he's, he's done nothing to show that he deserves a max, a max contract. Yeah, it's, it's tough because he's got, he's got a $47 million player option, right? So he's going to pick that up because he loves money. He's going to get paid. Mm-hmm. He's going to take that option. And then they can sign him. They can sign him, I think, like in August. So before the season starts, they can sign him to that max. And I think... The, the max he gets is like 222, 223 mil. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money over five years for a bloke who has had a very, very fast decline. Now, I get that he's been injured. You know, the hamstring seems to be bothering him a little bit. And, you know, you looked, watching the game, the last couple of games, you know, you see him get into those positions where he's attacking the rim. And he, he just he isn't that guy anymore. He can't go and throw that Euro and quickly guide through these three guys and, and get the shot up anymore, even if he is managing to get through them and get the shot up. By the time he gets to the shot, he's got no legs. So the shot's just hitting the bottom of the rim. So, yeah, it's a big risk. But, I mean, they have to do it, right? They traded away Ben. I mean, granted, we don't know if Ben ever bloody plays in the league again, so they might win the trade in that sense. But you think Ben gets healthy and plays. They trade away Ben. They trade away Seth Curry. And then yeah, Drummond they're thrown away, which they're never going to keep Drummond anyway. They weren't going to afford it, but that's <coughs> a it's a big investment to throw away some of those, you know, a kidney's prime. I know he's not playing, but he's a kidney's prime. So yeah, they're in they're in a bit of sorts. You don't you don't turn a bad problem into a worse one by signing him. Like I know the business would say that they're going to give him the max, but that's just compounding your whole problem because. Yeah, he might have a sore hamstring and this, that, and the other. That that doesn't stop you from just being able to box out someone and stop them getting an offensive rebound in a playoff elimination game. Like he's not a winning player. He's not any of that stuff. So there, there's not a problem with Philly having to sell tickets. They've got a generational star in, in Joel. So why why compound it by keeping James Harden and giving him that max money? I think that um, I mean I think that, that like to me that's that's the conundrum that I'd throw up is, you know, test James Harden's desire to win, and say to him, James, like you know, do you think that you're worth a max contract based off what you've done this season, what you've done in Brooklyn? I know you've been injured, but you're not that player anymore. I mean, I'm not saying sign him for bloody you know thirty million dollars for five years. I'm saying like offer him, we'll give you one hundred and forty million over five years or something like that, like give him a, a significant drop in his pay and go, that will allow us to go into free agency and get some some better players around us so that Joel, yourself, Maxi, and potentially some other pretty decent role player might be able to come out and actually contend to win a chip. Like you've had made millions over your career. What What is it? Like what's 80 million over five years when you're already a multi-multi-millionaire? You know, what do you love more? Do you actually want to stick to your guns and win a chip or do you actually want to just chase chase the money and, and don't actually worry about what like like the result 
Like to he, me, that's he wants to make money. If he wanted to win a chip, he would have done it by now. Like he had great opportunities in that Houston squad. Like Laurie gave him everything he needed. And they were three, what, three one up on the Warriors and shit the bed, and he shut the bed twice in those last two games. He's had everything. Yeah, I mean, he's had everything he's needed to have a chance. He just cares about money, and that's the thing. I wouldn't even offer him a five. I'd, I'd literally come into this. You, go, you know, he's going to take his player option, so you're stuck with him next year. You're not going to trade him again, so you're stuck with him for next year. And you'd want to hope he goes away, has a big off season, gets fit, doesn't come back fat like he's done in the last couple of years. And mate, we're not going to. We'll, we'll talk about your contract. I mean, that he's got him. He's got him on hot coals because. More, he's going to offer him a contract by all that. I think it's like August 10 or something like that. Might be the the cutoff date for him to sign that extension. Otherwise, he'll become a, an unrestricted free agent. But yeah, it's I don't know. It's I'd offer him two years. I'd say, look, here, we'll give you the max, but it's over two. It's not over five. Go on, mm. go on, go and show us what you got. Two years. Mm. I'll give him five. Imagine if you're in the Philly office and you're looking back and thinking we could have had Jimmy Butler over Tobias Harris and not gotten rid of him to keep Ben Simmons happy, who's no longer there and no longer playing. We have Tobias Harris, who is nowhere near what Jimmy Butler is, and you could have paired him with Joel Embiid and not had this James Harden problem. Imagine Philadelphia then. I don't think Jimmy and Ben might have been... They would have to get rid of Ben. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Get rid of Ben. Looking, Jim. And hindsight now, you're looking at that. You would have done it. Been fine. No. Yeah. Mm. What are your what are, quickly? What are your thoughts on Doc Rivers? The Boston Celtic. Boston Celtic scum. <laughs> <laughs> the man can coach, but he just he doesn't have the he's not an adjustments coach. He's a, he's a great player empowerment coach. So when it comes to tight playoff series, if you don't have players that are able to coach themselves through adversity, then he really struggles because he's not able to take that pressure off his star players. He's about empowering them, saying, you do what you do. I'll give you the green light to do it and I'll support you 100% to do what you do. Use are the stars. But when you need a coach in a playoff series to make adjustments just to make things easier on your players, he doesn't have the ability to do that. So he consistently gets out adjusted in playoff series. And that's why his teams that look better on paper don't generally perform as well as we probably think they should. Mm. I don't think he's the right coach for James Harden. I don't think he can, I don't think he can deal with a player like that. Like he was blessed. He was blessed in Boston. He didn't have to worry about controlling the locker room. KG did that for him. In Lale didn't have to worry about it. Chris Paul did that for him. Matt Barnes did it for him. Like those, you know, those senior vets. You look at his Philly team, that's the one thing they're missing, right? Danny Green went down there with a horrific knee injury. That looked really bad. I don't know if you've seen that, but Joel Embiid lands on him and his knee goes every way that it shouldn't. But <clears throat> he would have been their senior leader in the locker room after they make that trade. Jeez, Christ. Like, Harden's not a leader for players. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Doc, and I think he's probably, he's probably times up. But I think he also needs to have the right group around him from an assistant standpoint that can make, mm-hmm. as Bucket says, makes those adjustments because he, he can't make them on the fly. 
Yeah, he, he's a, he, and he's probably one of the worst coaches for after timeout plays. I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that they come out with, but generally turnovers, shot turnovers, turnovers. You know, he doesn't have Ray Allen there to save him. Hitting shots, he just give that man the ball, give him the bucket. He doesn't have that. Yeah, and look, I know like they they mic up the coaches at times, and they're only going to show very you know generic snippets because they obviously don't want their actual game plans and things out in the media. But in all these interviews, like at three-quarter times and things like that, and you see the inside track stuff, it's always just, you know, play harder or we need to do this better or we need to show more effort. Like there's never really any tangible or actionable things. Like it's always just this, you know, just go and play better and we'll win, you know. A bit like some of those coaches we used to laugh about as kids. They'd be like, go and score more points and you'll win the game. Like... There's not a lot of, you know, X's and O's about it. No. Mm. Anyway, um, oh, one last thing on this, the thing that I didn't really like was um, Joel Embiid pouting in game five because he didn't win the MVP. Um, I didn't think that was something, you know, as a – if you feel you're that guy going in and – you know, only shooting 12 times and, you know, being a minus 29 in the game after you didn't win the MVP and felt like you should and there's stories coming out, you know, about how he felt about it and this, that and the other. That's That shouldn't really even affect you if you're in a game five of a playoff series that you didn't win an individual award. You know, you should be out there trying to win the pivotal game of a second round playoff series and putting 40 and 20 on a team instead of, Sooking that you didn't necessarily win award you thought you won. Um, so I didn't like that from Joel Embiid, but that's just my opinion. No, it's, it's motivation, right? You think you're the best mm. player, go Joel's way the best player. Don't go around and produce trash. Agreed. Um, so we'll move on to the Warriors um, and the Memphis series. So this one I thought would be over in five. I thought once Jar went down, um, Golden State took care of business in game four. They didn't play all that well, but uh, managed to get over the top in the last month. Memphis led for the entire game until the last 45 seconds, which, you know, for a young team, that, that tends to happen. Just Golden State walked them down and got that victory. And I thought game five would just be a walk in the park. But this is what happens when you don't come ready to play in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. Memphis just blew them off the floor because Golden State didn't come ready to play. Um, they were down by, I think, as much as 52 or 53 at one stage, and that's that's what happens. It doesn't matter who's out there. These are all NBA players. You must come ready to close out a series. So um, what do we think is going to happen in game six of that series? Well, um, I, I, I think Golden State win it. Um, I mean, it's it, like to me, Golden State, they've got the leadership. They've got the the finals experience, the playoff experience. They've got Steph Curry, MVP. Um, Jordan Poole's playing some great ball. Draymond, you know, I, I think that that game five took them by surprise. A, a, a game six won't catch them by surprise. I, I think they'll come out hot. Um, and I think it'll be over. Um it's, it's, it's just hard to see them losing focus 
losing focus in game six, to be honest. I think that, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be done um, not convincingly in game six, but they'll, they'll probably win around the 10, like probably the 10 point mark somewhere around there. They should have never, they should have never got past Denver in the first place. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so they got lucky in the first round. Now that they're in the second round, yeah, exactly. Now they, oh, it's, they have the, they have the better, they have the better star players in the series. You have the better player in the series. You should be, you should be the favorite. But after, oh, I'm going to be real mean to. No, I'm going to. After Steph, they don't have the next three best players in the series. That's their biggest issue right now. Jaron Jackson is having an absolute stellar playoffs. He's he's turned into a, a really good player. Jar was doing his thing before he went down. Like Desmond Bain and Tyus Jones, like, I'm not saying they're better than Clay Thompson, but they they fit that system better than what Clay fits his own system right now. I feel like he's a bit lost. He's not getting enough. I think Jordan Poole's really strong. Clay Thompson out of whack. I don't think those two guys gel well on the court together. I don't think they play that well together. So, you know, they need a bit more. They need a bit more from their guys. But I think Tom should right. They're 3-2 up. They're going home. Surely they end it in six. You know, I don't I don't envision them. They turn that you look at like the, the major key factor in all these series so far that have <laughs> even to this point, like you look at the the other game as well in the, the Phoenix Dallas game from today, turnovers, right? It's the team who's turned the ball over is just getting killed. I can't see Golden State being that sloppy again. I think they'll I think they'll run it up. It's interesting because Golden State do tend to, with their free-flowing game style, do tend to be a high turnover team. Even in their their you know golden run with with Kevin Durant, they were a high turnover team, which you know most times that gives teams a chance. But they were just so good that it didn't really matter that they turned the ball over. It'll be interesting to see. I feel like they got into a comfortable mode with, especially in that game four where. You know, when you're playing a game and, and really you're not in control of the game the entire time, but you manage to still win it, you almost can get into a false sense of security and thinking, oh, no matter what, we'll pull this out. Um, and I think that may have been what happened in game five, that they they had that game four where really Memphis controlled the whole way, but then they will still able to close it out late. If they lose game six... I think they don't come out of this series because their confidence would have been shook after game five, but they'll still be going home thinking, okay, that's the kick in the pants we needed. Okay, that's that's now we need to get back to playing the type of basketball that we played probably in the first three games of the Denver series. Since then, they haven't really reached those same levels. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see if they come out in game six and play really good basketball or not, because yeah, I, I can see this one, you know, if they don't close it out in six, I don't see them coming out of the, this series. It's, it's a good point. And I think <clears throat> that the other scary thing is that, yeah, you look into it at the moment is who do you reckon, who do you reckon's got the highest turnover percentage out of all the players in this series? Uh, Clay Thompson or Draymond Green, maybe? Draymond Green by <clears throat> a long, long way. Yeah, right. A long, long way. Like, and he, you know, when you've got a guy playing, what's he playing? He's playing like 30, 
playing like what? 20, 26, 26 minutes. 26, 30 minutes a game. And he's turned the ball over that much. Like, you know, they're out of whack. And you don't, does Steve Kerr missing the last two games, does that, does that change a little bit? I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe that's that calming presence. And, you know, you never know. It's always a bit different when you've got a different coach. And RIP Mike Brown heading to the, to the Sacramento Kings. Good luck there. That's a, that's a dying hole, but he, he's, it, it, it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough not having Kerr there. I think I'm pretty sure he'll clear protocols and be back for this game. If he doesn't, he might yeah. be touch and go. But yeah, I think he should be back. That, that, that's, that's, that's a factor. That's a factor. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting because they would, you know, if you had have looked at those first three games in the Denver series, you thought the Warriors are, are running their way through to to the, the um, Western Conference Finals, but since then, and you know, maybe the fact that Jar's not there and having to adjust now um, to a completely different, you know, game plan. It's it's much easier to key in on a guy like Jar. Now you've got to try to work out. There's so many they would have never, you know, game plan for Tyrus Jones to be starting and, and shooting that many shots. So you know, making those in series adjustments can be tough as well. So. Game six is going to be very interesting um, tomorrow to see what happens there. And Memphis, play, Memphis plays so much better defense when Jar's not in the rotation. So, like, Tyce Jones is a really, really good defender. So, you know, that also takes, it's just, uh, takes away their – I heard a coach, I can't remember who it was, it was Monty Williams today, his quarter-time address. He said, we're worrying about getting a matchup, not running our sets. So we're trying to attack Luca too much in the first quarter than running through their sets. And that's what – that's – Probably, you know, what Golden State are worrying about, right? Like, so they're normally going to go, let's get Jar in every pick and roll. Let's attack him. So he's tied on the ends. And they don't have that now. They actually play a really good team defense. The other, um, the other question I was going to ask you both is, what are your thoughts on the Dylan Brooks, Gary Payton, unsportsmanlike, flagrant foul that got him suspended for a game? I think it was the right decision. Yeah, when you've got a guy that's going to miss basically the rest of the playoffs um, on a play like that, anytime a guy is up in the air, it's it's off, it's um, basically off limits. I think most guys that have played basketball at any level above sort of under 12s understands that. So anytime you go under someone that's in the air, um, you're basically at the mercy of what, what happens to that player and you've got to take the consequences. So you know, he missed one game, Gary Payton's going to miss the rest of the playoffs. So... Yeah, I reckon he got off lightly. Agreed. Yeah, I can think that, maybe they could have sent a message two, two to three games. Mm. I mean, I think, I think, I think, unfortunately, though, it's that kind of thing that will it'll take a bloke doing a much more severe injury, other than like an like a fractured elbow, to let to make the NBA actually send a message. You know, it'll take someone who's who's out for you know twelve months for them to go. We need to stop, you know, players deliberately fouling when the player's in the air. Like in my mind, if you're, if you're contesting the shot and you actually get a, a reasonable play on the ball and you, uh, it's plausible that you can actually make a make a play on the ball and you actually do. The moment that that second um, you know, second hand came across and they basically brought him to the ground, to me that's no, nah, I agree with you. You know, four or five games, you can't be doing that in the league because if you do that and someone falls on their neck or falls on their back or does a severe injury, you're not just talking about them not being able to play a couple of basketball games. You're potentially talking about, you know, the rest of their life. 
Andrew Bogan injury. Hmm. Should have, should have been enough to change it. Very true. So we might park that one now and move to the Phoenix-Dallas series, which is now going to the seventh game, which surprised me a hell of a lot. What have we made of Luca's performance um, and, and Phoenix um, not being able to close it out in game six? I'm not surprised by Phoenix, to be honest. I, I, I wasn't that high on them last year. And then this year... They're a really good playoff. I think they're a really good regular season team, but I just don't know if they're like DeAndre Ayton for me. That boy should be killing people. I know there's been a few plays in this series where he's had you know chance wide open dunks and you know shirt his aggressiveness. He's clearly the biggest guy in the series, and he's just not there. I don't know if, what's going on with Chris Paul. Is he injured or something? I, I don't know. He's been a bit held back, you know, recently in the last couple of games. Devin Booker is Devin Booker. Yeah, Lucas, Lucas, something shocking, but like that, and we, we had this conversation. Like you guys were all high on Dallas. I'm not that high on Dallas, but they they look like they're going to the Western Conference Finals next next week. They they're gonna they reckon they'll win Game Seven. Really, I reckon they'll win Game Seven. Yeah, they just, I mean, each team played really well on their home court, and Dallas shoot the lights out on their own court. But uh, if I'm Phoenix, I'm pretty flat today. After that, you know, that's a that's a closeout game against a squad that's not that great. In my eyes, not that great. But yeah, I reckon Dallas probably should go in that last game with a bit of momentum. And I reckon they, if they they hit their shots, I reckon they can roll. It'll be it's it's a big game for Chris Paul because number one seed, you know, clearly the best <laughs> all year by most people's. Um, Opinions just looking at record, they were clearly the best team coming up against the four seed. They were well in control of the series after the first two games. They're getting absolutely outplayed by one guy. Yes, there's other guys on Dallas that are playing well, guys like Brunson and Finney Smith. And I um, mean, Spencer Dimwitty's doing some things, Kleber, these type of guys. But you were the number one seed by so far. And you look at the talent that you have on your roster versus what they have, there's no way that this should go seven and there's no way you should lose a game seven on your home floor. So all that work that Chris Paul's done over the last couple of years that's, you know, taken his legacy to the next level will all go away if he loses this game seven on his home floor. Yeah. I absolutely 100% agree. I, I mean, I still think that I still think that Phoenix Phoenix win this series. Um, I think, yeah, I agree with Buck. It's you know Phoenix's home home court advantage. Um, I think it is a big game for Chris Paul. Uh, you know, it'd be I'd, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Chris Paul. I'd love him to go and actually win a chip before his career ends. I think he's an absolute warrior and. Um, just a fantastic player. So I'd love to see him make the Western Conference Finals and then even even then beat potentially Golden State, I think we'll make into the into the Western Conference. Um yeah. I mean, and I also agree, like Luca is Luca's really the only hugely damaging player. Like he's averaging 32, nearly 10 rebounds and seven and a half assists a game with a couple of steals and like next one up is Jalen Brunson averaging 17 and then Finney Smith 11. Like, you know, when you look at 
Phoenix, Booker's averaging 25, DeAndre's averaging 18, Chris Paul's averaging 14. Like pretty much their starting five is averaging in double digits, 10 or above. Um, they're, they're clearly the better team. They've just got to work out Luca. But, I mean, Luca, you know, you see Luca play and he's they, – they, Easier said Dallas, than done. Sorry? Easier said than done. That's it. All you've got to do is stop one of the best players in the world. You'll be fine. But but I mean I mean the, the amount of the amount of times he had mismatches and he was backing down Chris Paul in the post. I'm like how did, like how are you letting that happen? Like as like Phoenix like in my mind, if if Luca has a mismatch against Chris Paul or anyone that he's bigger than and he's in the post about to do a you know Euro step or get under that. Sorry, DeAndre Drayton, you've got to come across and make Luca make that pass or make Luca pass it off to someone who is going to try and win the game for them. Like you don't. He's clearly winning the game for them and hitting big buckets and being the man. Let someone else do it. Let Jalen Brunson have a crack at doing it. You know, let Finney Smith have a crack. Like, in my mind, you'd much rather them shooting, you know, semi-open shots than just letting Luca back down Chris Paul and get easy buckets. Like, in my opinion, that's what, you know, over overplay Luca and potentially lose a couple of easy buckets. But I reckon he's the barometer of that team. And if you can, if you, if you get him upset and angry and he's arguing and he's not happy and, you know, you put him off his game, I reckon that that'll go a long way to stopping him. You know why they can't do that? Because Dallas is shooting the shit out of the ball. They've made 30 more threes than them and they've, they've attempted nearly 100 more threes than them in the series. They're too dangerous. Like, look at like they got literally blokes running the court. Reggie Bullock's averaging like forty minutes a game. Finney Smith's out. like they're playing. They're there to play defense and shoot threes. And when they get hot, they're hot. Like Reggie Bullock, the other game three, game four, when he got hot, and then Davis Batans. Like my man hasn't taken a two point field goal attempt and not been fouled in this series at all. All he's doing is just running, getting up threes. Like. Phoenix made some really good adjustments. They took JaVale McGee and campaign out who weren't, they kind of, Dallas started to work them out after two games. And now they've taken them out. Bismack Dumbo's been really good to, to come in and, and make that change in, in the centre spot for him. And then uh, what's his name there? His name's escaped me. Shooting guard, Shamit. Landry Shamit's come in as that secondary ball handler now because they can't trust campaign in that. So they made the right adjustments. It's just Dallas had, sticking to what they know, right? And you look at every Phoenix play starts at the top double pick and they're trying to get Luca involved in that action. Yeah. And I think I think you I think you're 100 percent correct. Like looking at, you know, so David um Batans, Finney Smith, Dinwiddie and Kleber are averaging about 18 three point shots attempts a game and they're they're averaging about nine makes. So they're basically nearly averaging 50% from three. So you are right. It's it's tough to tough to leave these guys open when they're making virtually anywhere between 40, 44 and 50% of their shots from three. Um, but I guess, you know, play like play the averages, you know, is is Finney Smith gonna get up 10 threes a game and make five? You know, he, he might make might get hot and make the first couple, but is he gonna continue making them? I guess is the question. You, I mean, at the you, moment, at, yeah, at the moment, you, you've got to stop Luca. If you keep letting him sit in that corner like they're doing, like he's just shooting corner corner threes for the fun of it. That's his spot. He doesn't move. So yeah, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a fun game seven, that's for sure. It could be a blowout or it could be like it's one of those games you're going into it, you're not knowing what could happen. Because Phoenix could come out and wipe them. 
Like and you look at again, like Phoenix have turned it's the same as the Golden State. Like Phoenix have turned the ball over left, right, and center. Like their Dallas defense would be really, really good. So it's who who wins away. That's that's what the series comes down to. Who wins away? That's it. Do do those three pointers go down in a game seven? That's it. This is what this is this is a game for Luca, right? This is this is the this is his biggest game in his NBA career. Yes. Game seven, second round. It's his biggest game in his career. Let's see what he does. And I, I wish that man could play some defense because if he could oh, play so any defense, he would he would take your soul because he just makes you look silly on the offensive end. But if he could stop you on the defensive end too, be if you watched the first quarter of Game Five of the Miami um, Philly series, Jimmy Butler took their soul in the first quarter because he stopped them every time on defense, and then went and scored nine straight. And the game was effectively done in the first six minutes. Luca could do that if he could play any defense. Good luck. <laughs> Okay, so one series to go, the Boston-Milwaukee series, which has been hugely entertaining, a, a titanic battle. This would have been um, a fitting to be an Eastern Conference Finals matchup for sure, the level of competition that's been in this series. What did we make of the epic Game 5? Drew Holiday's a hell of a defender. Came up big in the right moments. Came up big in the right moments. Great, great, great game. Like, there, I don't, I don't think there's been a bad game. Maybe game two. Game two, probably the worst game of the series. Other than that, it, it's been, you know, what, two games decided by a shot. Game four, you know, it was Milwaukee were close until the last stages where Boston kind of pulled away. But, yeah, it's been a hell of a series. Giannis is uh, doing what he wants to do. It's, uh, it's been fun. Timing is everything, isn't it, with Drew Holiday? It, uh, he may not be getting too much um, praise on the offensive end, but, you know, that's why there's two sides to basketball and I always harp on being able to play both sides because if you can do that, you can still affect the game in such a big way. Um, what, have, what have you made of it, Tosh? Uh I mean, other than the fact that uh, Giannis is playing absolutely fantastic basketball. I agree. Drew Holiday, just, he's sort of that bloke that, you know, whenever, whenever you want to check the box scores, you sort of sit there and go, you know, how good is Drew Holiday? Is he, is he that good of a player? But he's averaging 22 points for the series and he's a lock defender, um, especially without Chris Middleton. He's had to step up. And I think he's well and truly, well and truly done that. Um, 22 I mean, seven. Yeah, he's absolutely. That's shocked me. I didn't realize that. That's looking at that now has absolutely shocked me. He stood up. Mm, absolutely, and I think. Um, I mean, I think the other thing too is Giannis is a force to be reckoned with. You know, I know that. Um, you know, I think when you know when when I was a guest on the pod after the um, NBA Finals last year. Um, you know, there was questions around, can Giannis do it again? You know, this is his chance. He's got to back it up. You know, he had, there were injuries and there were issues with, you know, them being Brooklyn and, you know, Chris Paul, um, you know, with uh, the Lakers, you know, not getting knocked out first round last year. And, you know, it was basically a, a, a series of who could last the longest in terms of injuries. Well, 
I mean, Giannis is making a very good case for, you know, hey, this wasn't a one-off, this wasn't an anomaly, you know, it doesn't matter whether a team's healthy or not, you know, I'm going to prove that I'm probably the best player in the NBA right now, which is, uh, you know, uh, he is at this stage. Clearly, clearly the best player in the NBA right now. Mm. Not even close. And it just shows the difference between we saw what happened in that first round, what Boston was able to do to a guy like Kevin Durant, and then you can see what they're doing to a guy like Giannis, and that's that's the difference in in greatness in players is being able to find different ways to be able to be successful. Just the the makeup of their squad as well, it complements him so much. You're right, though. Like KD has to do the load, and he's not. He, he has the ability to probably do that steam down downhill steamroller, but he just he doesn't have the, the cattle next to him to do it like Giannis does. Like they've built that squad so smartly around Giannis. Like you know, he's got <coughs> old bug eyes, body Bobby Porter sitting there hitting those picks like. You know, if he gets if he gets caught rolling in the basket, they've got shooters lined up around that perimeter. I think if Chris Middleton plays this series, it might be like a four-one rather than a three-two going into a, a game six. Just <clears throat> I think Boston at Milwaukee just missed that second scorer, consistent scorer. Where I think you know, more, I think you saw that last year in the playoffs that Middleton definitely played that role. But the, I think all the talk around Boston having to trade one of Tatum and, and Brown's probably going to go. I think, you know, if they force these to a game seven, one of them's going to go off or both of them are going to go off and you probably won't see that conversation much anymore. And also um, big props to Al Horford. You know, I think we spoke about it last pod that, you know, he was he was dead and buried and, you know, how he's come up, in a, you know, big in a few games. Um, again, you know, Buck is what you're talking about with, you know, the timing, the right timing is is everything. You know, you can be you can be a bit of a you know uh, a scrub in regular season and you know not make an impact. But if you make an impact come postseason, I think that's all the you know board and the team and the supporters really want from you. You know, it, it, he's he's playing some good ball for a bloke who I don't know how old he is, but geez, he must be forty. Like, <laughs> he's thirty-five, turning thirty-six next week, I think. I'm fairly certain I'm, I'm fairly certain I did a pretty good job of burying him in the last one too. So I think I, I had enough to so fool me. If if you had told me I was gonna lose a game in this series because Al Horford had 30 plus, I would have called you a liar and told you to get off the pod straight away. So but you know, he needs to be careful picking his battles because you know Giannis he willed his way to that victory on um, in game five. You know, the man is shooting 19% from three-point range. He'd made two three-pointers for the entire series leading into game five. They go down 14 with, I think, about eight and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And he pulls up for a transition three. Now, any other time, that is a horrendous shot. But... He willed that shot to go in. So instead of, you know, they go down, he shoots that, he misses. 
Boston come back with a chance to go up 16 or 17 with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The game's essentially done. He comes down and strokes a transition three. It's back to 11. Then they're down six with about a minute and a half to go. And he steps to the top of the three-point line and hits another three to bring it back to three points. And then we know they get the stop. Then Drew hits a three, tied game, everything that. So those are what I call will shots. And that you only make those shots if you... You don't cheat the process. You do all the work. And I'm not talking about work in the gym of just shooting threes. I mean, you just, you do everything right. So pre-season, you turn up in shape. You're at every film session. You're at every training session. You're a good teammate. You care about your, your organization. You care about winning over awards. All those sort of things so that in those moments, you can just will your way into making the right plays and to get your team over the line because, no analytic person would ever think that Giannis is going to hit two threes in the fourth quarter when he shoots it the way he does. So, and then he blocks Al Horford on the other end, who's having a hell of a series as well, to make sure that they continue to keep that run going. And I must admit, I feel very sorry for Marcus Smart, who was having a great game up until about six seconds to go. Because he misses the rebound, which gets Bobby Portis the the tip in, which puts him up puts him up one. He then gets blocked on the on the next play, and then he gets the steal on the final play. And it's like that, that have, that's have, hard. Have you, seen the, have you seen the widescreen of the final play too, and see Jason Tatum's trimming down the far end of the court wide open, and he has been no. the whole time. No. So if you go back and watch the footage, you look at the 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 um, along the sideline. Jason Tatum's open and he's, he catches that from inside the half court. He can take two dribbles, pull up three. No one's coming to him because everyone's sucked into that section of the, the court and you got a big guy tucked up under the ring. Like you watch the, you think you've, you think he's had a bad last six seconds. Go watch that. He's had a horrendous last six seconds. Being a point guard, that's, oh, I just, yeah. 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 And I think, I think we've all, we've also said it on this pod, but if Giannis gets a, if Giannis gets a shot, like a consistent shot, like, you know, pay him not even the Supermax, give him more than the Supermax. Like, he will be be invaluable. A man who can literally take it nearly coast to coast and dunk on anyone, can bully anyone, can play defense, can find the open man, um, you know, can score inside and then can potentially shoot consistently. He'd... Like I'm sorry, but he he'll be he'll win six titles if he does that. Like if he can get a consistent shot. I think the good thing is, like back to back to back to Barker's point, spot on. Right, he has that next play mentality. It's like fuck, I don't, I don't care if I'm airballed it. Like you know, you kind of go back to that 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 early days Lakers game where Kobe goes and airballs those shots. Right, he's still taking that shot. And I think that's the that's the, the mindset that Giannis has. Is he goes well. As Bucket said, he has no right to pull up and take that three. No right. He shot the ball horrendously. He has no right to take that. But just to have that confidence in your own game to go, who cares? What it's going to go? I'm going to get. It's going to. It's going to fall. I need to do this for my team. Like it's just. He shoots him with such confidence too. Like you, you see, you see guys like you. Everyone's seen the George Hill free throws at the end of game one in in the 2018 um, finals. Like. You see guys, Kawhi Leonard 2013 is another good one. You see guys that you know they don't want to take the shot. You know they, they, they are not shooting this with confidence and generally they're going to miss. He just shoots every shot with confidence when 
as you say, he has no right to be confident that it's going to go in. But he's not he's not hesitating. He's like, I'm just, I'm going to shoot it and whatever the result is the result because I know I'm doing it for the right reasons and I know that I'm doing it for the betterment of the team. And if you listen to Stan Van Gundy, he would never take a three in his life because every time he takes a jump shot, he says, oh, that, that's a win for Boston in, in Stan Van Gundy's <laughs> voice. Um but that's what he does. And even those last two free throws, yes, he misses the second free throw, but he at least shoots it with confidence, you know, and he's just, he's a hard guy not to like. Like he is just a good, wholesome dude. You see him in his press conferences. Like he just goes about it the, the right way. That's, that's what I was going to say too. He, he would be, I mean, you know, again, I haven't, you know, watched a lot of Milwaukee Bucks, like, you know, behind the scenes kind of footage, but he seems like a player, if you were the coach of him, he'd be a dream player. Like, he doesn't seem like the kind of bloke who'd bring in arrogance and, you know, I'm better than these players, pass me the ball. Like, he, he doesn't seem like he's a hard player to coach. He would, he seems like he's agreeable. He'd listen to whatever you had to say. You'd take it on board. He'd come to you if he didn't feel like it was the right thing and say, oh, you know, this, that and the other. But, you'd, you know, to me, I don't get any kind of like, you know, that, that super arrogant I know best kind of vibe that you, you get from some of the star players who, you know, James think Harden. they know best. <laughs> James Harden vibes. But, you know, I just think that from a from a coaching perspective too, geez, you'd be, you know, you're, you'd be super happy as a coach to be having him on your side because he'd be a very coachable player. 100%. Do, do you think, who do you think wins the series? I, I think have- Milwaukee... Yeah, I don't see it getting out of Milwaukee. That that was huge to win in Boston in Game Five. Um, yeah. Milwaukee, they can't let him get out of Milwaukee without without a victory. Um, this is this is their chance. They've done all the hard work without Middleton, getting that game and the way they won that game. Like Boston, really, you know, up forty in the fourth yeah. quarter. You yeah. know, there's no no reason you should lose that game. So the door's being thrust open for you, you've got to take your opportunity because if you have to go back into Boston Garden, you know, that you just, we all know when the opportunity is there, don't play with your food, take take it now. Especially with their crowd there. Um, they could just come out, punch them in, in the mouth in that first quarter um, and, and not give Boston a chance because they're going to be reeling after, after what happened. Um, so they've just got to take take it away from them and not not give them a chance. Um, to me, Giannis, when you talk about the type of guy coaching, to me, he's Tim Duncan with more of a personality. Yeah, like yeah. that. That's a good call. Yeah, he just works. He just yeah. works. He doesn't cheat. He works. I was going to so. say, buckets. I think you'll be able to tell us all about the uh, the the Milwaukee crowd in June because that's definitely <laughs> probably where you'll be where you probably have to fly to to, to watch yes. a couple of playoff finals all in that surely we can get some live crosses from you yeah you certainly will I'll uh, I'll, I'll get you in from what is it what's their forum called I don't even know what their sponsors called it's like the Pfizer's forum or something their Pfizer the forum yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. I'll get you I'll get you some live footage from in there I'm, I'm all in the Milwaukee camp um, and so once once Brooklyn got knocked out um, and my dream matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals is, is Miami Milwaukee because I love both Jimmy and Giannis. So, but I'm all in the Milwaukee camp. I'd love to. I'd love to see Giannis up close, um, just to see how big the man really is and what does it what does it actually look like live seeing a guy take one dribble from the baseline to the other baseline. 
<laughs> I think that they they they've had you know like the the bubble. They had a really good series where Jimmy kind of willed the team over the line, and then last year where Giannis just went, nah, we're not having this again, and rolled over. Yes. And it'd be a cracking Eastern Conference Finals. Be cracking, and I think the one thing that scares me the most about Milwaukee is that Chris Middleton's their closer. Like he's yes. the guy that they give the ball to down the stretch. Giannis is now having to do that, and that's yes. terrifying. They're going to have yes. two of those bastards on the same team. That's terrifying. How how do how do Miami play like if, if Milwaukee gets through? How do Miami play against Giannis in terms of like who gets the matchup? PJ Tucker gets it first, but it's exactly the same as they played Trey Young. They switch on everything. Jimmy can guard him. Bam can guard him. And then when he comes to the hole, they just close. Like and I think that's Miami. probably really the Cole Lowry too. Kyle Lowry's yeah. getting really cautious and they're resting him because he's going to have a hell of a he's going to have a hell of a battle against against Drew Holiday. And Miami like to run different zone sets too um, to change things up as well. So they get a lot of different looks on defense. But, and part of their defensive scheme happens on the offensive side of the ball as well because if you watch Miami's games, they rarely shoot with more than five seconds left on the shot clock. They will run through set and go through every option of that set and give up probably two or three good looks because all they're trying to do is tire the other team out. And they did that to Philly. They just would just keep make that defense, make one more rotation, make two more rotation because they know they can pick you apart and get whatever shot they want, but they want their defenders having to work three, four, five more times on every single possession because as the game goes on, no one's as conditioned as the Miami Heat. They are the best conditioned team by a country mile in the NBA. So part of their defensive scheme happens on that side of the ball as well. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – it's game six tomorrow? Yes. Game six tomorrow? Yeah. Two game oh, sixes that's... tomorrow. And yeah. Then game seven is think... Monday. Yeah. What do you think, Pat? Do you think, do you think Boston takes game six or – I'm with I'm with Buckets. I, I can't see them getting out of the Pfizer centre. I can't. I can't see it. It's – you gave up too much. You had to win that game on your home. You've got to protect home court, right? That's exactly mm-hmm. the same as the Phoenix series, right? They – Everyone's protected home court. Now that's going to be the first team to win away. I think Milwaukee being the championship team they are, I think that's the difference, right? They're not going to let it get to a game seven. Yeah. It's going to take a hell so, of a game from Tatum, Tatum or Brown. One of them's going to have to go for 40 to, yeah. to make it to make it a seven, I think. Or they're both going to go for 30. So so from a from a recap point of view, are we all on the same page with everything? Like Phoenix, Phoenix, Dallas. I think Phoenix are getting through. Is everyone in agreement with Dallas. that one? I've gone oh, Dallas. That's yeah, Dallas. I'm, I'm flipped. I'm going to go Dallas in seven. I think after today, I think they're going to take some confidence into that building. Are we all in agreement? Golden State beat Memphis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Clay Clay Thompson all, finally breaks out and turns into, and they stop slandering him for not being the player he is anymore. Yeah. So essentially, basically, we're, we're all in agreement, apart from the Phoenix Dallas, where where Pat saying Dallas. So. We, we all think it's going to be Miami and Milwaukee Eastern Conference and uh, a mixed Western I've, Conference. I've been bashing Dallas ever since the start of the year prediction pod, but now here I am. I'm on the bandwagon. I'm jumping on Lucas back just like everyone else on his roster and his team, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm riding it. Yeah, you're going to be so upset if they lose. You're going to be like, that's it. I'm never, I'm never touching Dallas again. <laughs> I gave his one chance. I don't think I've made... 
anywhere near. I think I've had one prediction ever on this that's ever gone right. So I'm happy with where I'm at. Fair enough. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean, buckets. Buckets did speak about the Golden State dynasty was over. So that's yes, that's yes, I did. Yep. Well, they just I mean, got I mean, blown I was... out by nearly fifty. So you know, true. Maybe true. I was just I mean, a, little, I mean, a little bit late. Mind you, I did. I mean, I also said that Washington were going to be fourth or fifth seed in the East, which definitely did not pan out. Hey, no. our, our predictions looked good early, right? Yeah, our predictions looked good because I said Boston were going to slide, and they looked they yeah. looked like they were sliding. And then all of a sudden, All Star break came, and they went, "Hey, we're a really good team." So, yeah, I, I think I, if I can recall correctly, Pat, you also said that uh, Indiana were going to be the sleeper team that, that plays a very good season. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Big uh, big games tomorrow. I can't wait to wake up and tune into two big game sixes. This has been this is one of the best times of year because you've always got each day you've got two great games. And being sick this week, I've been able to watch every dribble of, of two games every single day this week. So it's uh, very <laughs> very advantageous of being sick. And tomorrow is going to be another good one. It's, it's a shame that game seven isn't on Sunday. We have to all go back to work on Monday, but. Uh, yeah, it's all, all part of the fun. Surely your illness might might extend a little bit longer, Heath. You might. Yeah, it might. I, I, think, <laughs> have to, I think I have to get a doctor's certificate then, so I better go back. Yeah. Monday's a work from uh, home day for me, so I'm logging that already. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, very good. Appreciate your time, gentlemen.